What does it mean to be a Singaporean man of Tamil descent in Singapore and East Switzerland? In this episode, Pradeep shares his stories of growing up as a minority in Singapore and his journey in not only making sense of the different ways in which racism manifests in different countries, but also in addressing them. I'm Fumi, this is Hashigar Racism, and this is the story of Pradeep. I come from Singapore and I'm doing my PhD in Switzerland currently. I'm of Indian Tamil ethnic descent. In Singapore, many people have this misconception that it's part of China or it's affiliated to China. It's not, but it is a Chinese majority country. So um, I was already a minority back home. My family background is kind of, uh, well, lower middle income, I would say, uh, with some financial struggles when I was younger. And also in Singapore, uh, just to give you more context, there are four official racial categories. Those are Chinese, Malay, Indians, and others, which are uh, usually Eurasians or mixed uh, people of mixed descent in some cases. And I would fall under the Indian category. And even amongst the Indian category, uh, most Indians, or at least this is how people, I think, think of Indians. They think that Indians tend to be dark-skinned, so I'm a light-skinned Indian, more right now than I was back in the day, but uh, still, I think most people consider me light-skinned Indian. And as a result of this, uh, many people that I have encountered tend to have this misconception that I'm not from Singapore, that I'm an expat or I come from India because there's a huge expat population that comes from India to work and reside in Singapore. Um, and as a result, they uh, sometimes even have this conception that I'm more well-off than I uh, really was. Pradeep shares his experiences as a minority in Singapore in both preschool and primary school. So let me maybe begin by talking about my first or my earliest memory of what I believe was a racist encounter. I think I must have been um, maybe four or five years old in preschool, essentially. And this was... Uh, called kindergarten back home. And in this particular school, there was only one language that was being taught, one mother tongue that was being taught apart from English, and that was Mandarin. And so I, I was also forced to learn Mandarin. Um, but, you know, I did a terrible job at it, apparently, and I wasn't learning anything and I couldn't speak anything. And then I, I, I quite distinctly remember one of the teachers, like, basically, like, having a go at me, like, why, why can't you learn properly? Like, like, you know, it's not that difficult. Like, just put your mind to it and, and stuff or something like that. And that kind of always felt strange to me. It's probably one of my earliest uh, memories, even. It was only years later that I looked back on it and I was like, probably racist, you know, because like, how, how can you really expect me to learn this completely foreign language at a similar pace to the other students, the majority of whom were Chinese um, racial background. So that was kind of my first, I think, brush with it. Then we move on to primary school where another incident vividly sticks out to me. And that was when, this didn't happen to me, but a friend of mine who was dark-skinned Indian person, Indian uh, boy at the time. And what was happening was that I think he was a rather playful kid and like he was always like sweaty and like, you know, full of energy and stuff like that. And there was once, I think, he was causing a bit of trouble in class or something like that. And the teacher kind of 
uh, lashed out at him. And I think he was trying to end in an assignment or, or something like that. And she just kind of went, ooh, like, I don't want to touch that. It's probably full of germs. And also, like, that felt kind of strange to me. Like, why, why is she saying that, you know? Um, I don't see her making similar comments to other students. So that's the kind of early childhood sort of experiences with racism that I can remember. I mean, there there are many more, of course, and I have many more vague memories, but these ones really stand out to me. And years later, again, in the university, I was reading this article about where this psychologist from the Nanyang Technological University in Singapore they conducted an experiment with preschoolers in Singapore and found that, you know, preschoolers already have certain ideas about Indians are better dancers, and Chinese people are better at finance, and stuff like that. So it gets into you like, like very, very early. And I must think that primary socialization has something to do with these attitudes. Pradeep would continue his studies in a high school that was considered so-called elite, quote unquote. He shares the effects of this experience on his identity. In that high school that I was in, the minorities were even more a minority than in the general Singaporean population. And I think that's where most of my formative experiences, which sort of shaped my relation to my ethnicity, are from. And this is where, you know, there was really this culture of um, racialized or racial taunts, uh, racist taunts, where, you know, not just um, in terms of, uh, not just taunts that uh, were targeting like our skin color, but also just this general idea that like camels, uh, camel language is like, uh, is a joke, you know, like the Indian culture, you know, is is of course filled with dancing and celebration. And there were taunts um, that were targeting that as well. Also things like the smell of Indians, uh, which is also rather common sort of, form of insult. So that was ongoing and happened uh, rather frequently and regularly, I would say, and that sort of shaped how I relate to my own culture. And I think that's where I really, on some conscious level, started shaping my identity to navigate the tensions. And I would say that secondary school, high school was when I really started to sort of anglicize myself a, a little bit more. So that, you know, I wouldn't be perceived as this like funny or sort of other Indian character that other people were so prone to viewing me as. So it started this whole process of me distancing myself from my own um, ethnic background, essentially. It entailed a lot of things like, you know, immersing myself in like Anglo-American pop culture, allowing my Singaporeanness to inform my identity more than my Indianness by accentuating my accent pretending to be worse at Tamil than, than I, I really was. Because in primary school, apparently, like, I was, I was pretty good at Tamil. And then in secondary school, like, that just kind of got shaved off of my identity, partly consciously, I would say. And that all that stuff was happening. And, of course, like, years later, right, I, I regret it. And I, I still kind of do because I feel that there is this void in, in terms of my cultural sense of self. And so now I find myself like watching like Tamil films on the weekends and stuff like that, just trying to reconnect it in some ways with my own culture. Pradeep says that questions around his identity didn't stop in high school. Instead, they would continue and manifest in other ways. 
I think when I was in high school, I was far more tanned than I am right now because I used to play a lot of sports and that would result in me having like uh, much darker skin than I, than I have currently. But of course, over the years, like sort of my natural skin color returns. And then I, I noticed that people started asking me where I'm from a, a lot ever since the age of like 20, 21, I would say. And, you know, initially it didn't make much uh, meaning of this, but over time it, it dawns on me that I don't really fit people's stereotypical ideas of a Singaporean Indian male because they assume that Singaporean Indian males tend to be darker skinned from South India, which I am from actually, my family is from, but don't really look it, I suppose. So I'm not even like kidding when I say that literally like every week or every other week I would have an encounter, whether it is with a cab driver or a restaurant manager or just a stranger that I meet who would ask me like, hey, like, where are you from? And it's kind of like, yeah, I didn't think much of it, but dwelling on it further and further just causes this sense of uh, a lack of uh, belonging kind of thing almost. So that's kind of where I was and am with racism. I think, of course, a lot of these things have to do with the political context in Singapore, which maybe I should elaborate on. So the Singaporean government's stance on racism historically and even currently tends to be focused on this narrative of racial harmony. And most of the policies are geared around ensuring uh, racial tolerance or, or preventing racial intolerance, rather. So it's it's really premised upon this idea that the different races are sort of different and the goal of the government is to um, allow them to coexist rather than embrace one another, for lack of a better way of saying that. Um, it has very recently been starting to acknowledge more that racism does indeed exist, right? Previously, like, it wasn't really talked about much, but still it, it denies other things like uh, the idea that I remember it's been quite a while now that like this concept of privilege, uh, it exists in like people's vocabulary. And I believe it was this American sociologist who came up with this concept. But over time, of course, it, it traveled to Singapore. And I guess a lot of people um, resonated with the idea and found that it, it allows them to you know express certain things that they have experienced. So this concept of Chinese privilege it exists in Singapore, but the, the government just flat out denies it. So it's it's really the sort of culture, the one that I grew up in, at least, I understand that things are, are changing a little bit now where racism and, and racist expressions are kind of the norm more than anything. I remember a few years ago when a friend of mine uh, who's living in the United States, a friend uh, of mine who's also Indian, you know, we grew up together in secondary school, uh, but he moved to the United to Canada and then the United States after that, who came back to visit me once and then he kind of, we were talking about racism and was kind of telling me that, you know, to some extent, I think things are worse here because people don't talk about them and it's not like made taboo in any sense at all. Like racist expressions in daily life are almost the norm. Anytime like a uh, minority activist or anyone really tries to question it or raise the issue in public um, or political context, there's a huge backlash, right? Um, the government even comes out and says now and then, it's okay to have racial preferences. You know, we have to draw this distinction between racial preferences and, and racism per se. So there's still these very old fashioned, um, I would say extreme sort of ideas about what racism is and the denial of it in public circles. There is a 
Singaporean rapper who's currently on trial in Singapore because he made a video a few years ago that basically criticized this actor painting his face brown to portray an Indian character. Uh, many minorities found that offensive and he made a song about it and I think people lodged a police complaint and he's now on trial. So this is like the context that, that exists in Singapore. Racism is very much like a normal, uh, it has been for a very long time a normal part of life and I think it's slowly changing but very, very slowly. Pradeep says the similar dynamics are also present in state institutions such as the Singaporean army which drafts men after high school. He shares his reflections from his time at the army. There are racial dynamics in the military as well, but I, I hung out with a great group of friends in, when I was in the army, I think, and I never experienced any racism from them. But there are sort of uh, racial dynamics involved in the military as well, in the sense that how the military in Singapore operates is heavily premised on one's educational sort of background and attainment. So you'll find that um, there are different intakes, like there are intakes for people with uh, junior college education, then there are other intakes for those who've been to technical institutes or, or polytechnics, as they are called in, in Singapore. And more often than not, those who went to junior colleges will end up in like commanding positions. The military lasts two years. Uh, you have to serve compulsory for everyone. And during this time, you sort of go through your basic trainings and then you come out with some kind of a rank, essentially, after about uh, six months to a year, I would say. And then the rest of your army life is either spent as a commander or uh, it's spent as uh, what, what's, what they call a man, like, you know, someone who, who takes orders from these commanders. So education kind of structures that experience. Most people that have this formal sort of junior college education end up becoming either sergeants or, or officers. I, I didn't, even though I, I went to the junior college, I have no idea why, it's probably because I was terrible at everything to do with the army. But more often than not, there is this kind of racial divide in who ends up in junior colleges itself, right? Most Chinese people, I would say, are maybe overrepresented, but minorities are definitely overrepresented in technical institutes. So what then happens is, you know, the army sort of re reinforces these structural divides, you know, in the sense of conferring more power onto those who had privilege or the fortune of receiving better education. I wouldn't say better education, just education that is seen as, as more valuable. So it's kind of this channel through which like these other inequalities get reasserted. Yeah, that's the army in Singapore. But my brushes, I think, with racism in the army, definitely far more minimal than they were in school, I would say. After living his whole life in Singapore, Pradeep moved to a city in East Switzerland, St. Gallen, to pursue his tertiary studies. I must say that since coming here to Switzerland, I haven't experienced racism all that much in the day-to-day -day sense of the term. But there was this weird incident that happened, I think, when I, when I went to the Swiss Political Science Conference in Basel, and I was on the train, I was waiting for had a train back from Bern with some other friends and this guy just sort of approaches me and says like, Hi, does this train go to Zurich? And then um, I'm like, what? what? What do you mean? And then he repeats himself, does this train go to Zurich? And then he says, well, this is what Afghan refugees always ask me, does this train go to Zurich? 
And then I was just like sort of stunned and I didn't understand. And I, I was completely tuned out at, at that point. I wasn't even paying attention. And then he's like, but it, it's just a joke. Uh, I, I don't mean anything. Have a good day. And I was like, yeah, good day. And he left. And, you know, it didn't occur to me in that moment that there was a, a racial sort of stereotype. Uh, until a friend mentions casually, like, hey, were you just weirdly racially profiled by this guy? And then, yeah, it, it clicked in my head. Oh, that's, that's what, you know, happened. And I remember on that train ride back that I was like uh, a little bit mellow. I mean, I, I'm usually not the most talkative person, but I was a little bit mellow, more mellow than usual. And I think it was just this concerning feeling that something racist happened and I wasn't able to make sense of it immediately. So I think that was kind of a sobering reality check for me in teaching me that this is a completely new environment and I, I don't know like all the ways in which racism is going to be expressed. So I think maybe, yeah, that's something that we should also keep in mind that entering a new environment is always going to entail its own contradictions and challenges and tensions that you wouldn't necessarily be, be able to anticipate. Like, I'm very thankful for the friends that I was with the day because, I mean, it, it all happened so quickly. So I, I, I'm not going to, like, hold against anyone for not saying anything because I myself didn't understand what, what was happening. But uh, what happened was that on the train back, three of us were, like, sitting together and they were also minorities. And we were just talking, like, about our experiences with racism in our lives. So I think that allyship is definitely important. It's definitely part of being anti-racist. Um, it's just being there to, you know, support, hear your friends out, to validate them when they tell you that they have been through something that they suspect or think was racist. So just, you know, support one another because it's going to be tough for minorities everywhere, right? So you just have to be there for one another. As cliche as that sounds. Against the background of this incident, Pradeep shares how important it is to know the context when facing such situations. Well, here it was definitely different because in Singapore, like, there's a part of me that's almost, like, used to it, you know, and so I'm just, I'm able to brush it off really easily. I know many others aren't, but I think uh, me personally, like, I have my own friends and family and it doesn't really matter to me, like, what others make of me or treat me like, I think. So part of me had just grown, like, acculturated to the Singaporean environment where I was in a situation that, you know, I essentially would be able to brush things off. But that's because I think of familiarity and that I have experienced these things before and they generally manifest in these ways. And sometimes even before they manifest themselves, you can anticipate them, you know. And yeah, that's another thing. Like, I think as like minorities, certainly as a Singaporean Indian man, code switching had become like very normal to me in that like I know that if I allow other people to determine their own ideas of me it's not going to end well so if I'm in a situation where I need things to go smoothly or maybe I'm even a little anxious that they may not I, I will sort of activate like my academic voice and whatnot and try to uh, appear like more educated or whatever so that the other person doesn't make like assumptions of me. so I think I had a better sense of how to navigate these tensions in Singapore than I do right now, which is kind of a disconcerting feeling. But, you know, I think that's just part of being a minority. Obviously, it shouldn't be the case. But yeah, it's just a sad reality that we have to learn to, to cope with. Pradeep says the context also matters when evaluating whether a joke is appropriate or not. 
quote unquote. I must admit that I haven't thought about these things fully just because of like how complex they are to unravel. I've thought about this now and then, and I think amongst minorities, it's okay for us to bag on like majorities, you know, and, and make jokes amongst ourselves because oftentimes it's sort of a bonding experience and it's being done for an inclusionary purpose. And it's also rather reactionary and at times even therapeutic. So I think that's definitely one setting in which I would say racist jokes are more palatable than others. I would also say that like your positionality in society matters a lot. And that for me, I would think that a Malay and an Indian person in Singapore probably, yeah, they probably would be able to trade jokes amongst themselves and banter amongst themselves without there being like serious, um, without there being serious conflict them yeah because they occupy like similarly obviously not the same but like similarly marginal positions in society and i think it's always important to remember the political context in which everything is happening and so i think a lot of the resentment that minorities feel when you know someone from a majority race makes a joke about them it essentially reflects the structural disparities in society. And I think that's where the antipathies are coming from. So if we did, you know, have a more equal society in which racial divides weren't as big a deal as they are, then I would think that context would allow jokes to be traded more easily. Against the background of his experiences and reflections, Pradeep shares his take on what it means to be anti-racist. For me, I mean, I don't think it requires you to, you know, be an activist, get involved like politically in any way. But if things are happening in your midst, if the context allows for it, is to speak up and say that I don't think that was okay or, or do something that alludes to this situation being inappropriate. Um, maybe that's a low bar, but I'm thinking of the many contexts in which, you know, minorities would feel discouraged from saying anything. So. I think speaking up is important, definitely. Um, and to be an anti-racist, I think you should speak up now and then, at the very least. Before wrapping up this episode, Pradeep wants all minorities everywhere to hear the following. I think maybe I'll end on an, uh, a more positive note, because I think a lot of the things that, I, that we talked about today were, can be kind of quite depressing. And I do believe uh, the reality, you know, is depressing for minorities or people of color anywhere. I do like feel a tinge of sadness, for example, when I think about the fact that yeah, I probably never will have like this normal life and that I'll be a minority pretty much wherever I go. But I think we must sort of keep in mind that things can change slowly if, if each one of us uh, sort of makes an effort and if each one of us speaks out, you know, supports one another. And more importantly, most places that you go to or most places that yeah, you visit or frequent, more often than not, you will see other minorities there. And I think that should be an, an important reminder to all of us that, you know, if, if others like you can make it, then so can you should um, let these sort of experiences or these uh, depressive ideas get the better of you. I think important to always be an optimist in your heart. You can find more information about Singapore, as well as other articles, books and videos Pradeep recommends people to take a look at on racism on our website, www.ourcontext.org. 
You can also find the transcript of this episode on our website in English, French, German, and Italian. If you have a personal story to share, reach out to us on our website, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us by typing in hashtag our underscore racism. This is Fumi and hashtag our racism. See you next month on November 1st. This episode was produced and edited by me, Fumi. Music by Pete Moore's Crescent Music and Fugu Vibes. This podcast is powered by the Competence Center for Diversity and Inclusion at the University of Sangan. A warm thank you to Pradeep for his invaluable time and energy in sharing with us important reflections on this issue.